Rodgers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Right, final JCM Jones from the mothership with Pfizer running through him. Joe Patrick from 9.9 the game with Moderna running through him. Joe, how are we feeling? I'm good. Thanks to uh, Kurt for Kurt. I was going to get God there. I've already, I I've already screwed it up. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We were. And also Kurt, Kurt Castle on the intro with Chances. We've been meaning to mention Kurt every episode. We've written it down. Haven't done it. Haven't done it. I blame not having the vaccine. Sam, that. but now that now that we're like one shot in, we've got this. And thanks, Kurt. <laughs> Sam was like, "Remember, remind me to mention Kurt. Remind me to mention Kurt." And that was just on top of my head. So thank you, Kurt, for the <laughs> intro. But yeah, uh, got the vaccines running through us. I was, I was, um, did not expect to get the jab last week, but got it on Thursday. And um, Sam, you I'm did as well the next for day. when you can tell your story because your story is the best vaccine story. <laughs> we'll hold on to that. That's a it, was like, it was wild. It was wild. A year from now, hang with us. Yeah, we need to be. The us. dust needs to settle on all of this first, but uh, once it does. Uh, uh, but good news, folks. Um, if you haven't heard already, on Thursday, everyone is eligible for the vaccine. Please, please, please go get your vaccine. If you are an adult in Georgia, you will be eligible on Thursday, which means we're one step closer to getting 100% capacity back in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, I saw where the Braves are doing 33% capacity. That might be an indication of what we're looking forward to for the first Atlanta United game. But still, either way, go get it. Go get it. We're, we're close. We're getting there. We're getting there. And we're, we're almost getting to the beginning of the season. While we're talking, the MLS schedule may come out. The full one, <laughs> yeah, the big yeah. one, might actually come out, you know, three we've, and a half weeks. We've been delaying. We've been delaying doing this episode for days because, well, we've been expecting out the Alan Franco news. We're not expecting it, but just trying to wait for it to drop. And it hasn't dropped. And then, of course, now that we've decided to do it, we might get a schedule dropping on us literally while we're, we're recording. I kind of hope it does drop while we record so we can react to it a little bit. But uh, if not, I'm sure it will be out, obviously, by the time you guys are listening. Listen to, listen to this or watching us on YouTube. So, yeah, fun stuff. Lots of like weird things to kind of wonder about with that. I wonder if they're still going to try to keep it very regional at first or, or what the deal is, which is probably why they've been taking so long to to get that out. But should be out soon. Keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out as well for the stuff we have going on on Patreon. Ryan Catney's our latest interview, the former Atlanta United Digital media person digital media savant for atlanta united it was great to talk to him for a little bit he had a bunch of great stories from behind the scenes at atlanta united uh, we've also got our daily shows running which are not quite daily yet will be more daily as media availability becomes more of a regular occurrence but our latest is up with interviews with san agasosa and anton walks and folks a special announcement we have a very special guest next week on the patreon the captain is back for round two michael parkhurst will be here to talk to us and talk to you. He answers a bunch of your questions as well. Uh, we Fantastic interview. Amazing. Yes, I cannot wait for he's, everybody to hear it. He's always so honest. He's always so candid. And he was able to kind of dig into a, bit of, a few things about last year, a few things about this year. And we're really looking forward to y'all getting to listen to that. Go check us out. Uh, go check our Twitter for our Patreon link. Go check everything at that. We have some big things going on. Atlanta United has some big things going on too. And we'll get to them right now in business time. Someone requested us, so we sing that yeah, this that's time. Right. I think it was in the YouTube comments. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there you go. I don't think that's going to be on the actual show, but we did it. We did It'll it. be on the YouTube show, so problem solved. Beautiful. Business time, Joe Patrick. And the first piece of business is maybe the biggest piece of business. Atlanta United. <laughs> Back in for Alan Franco. <laughs> Apparently. This, who, this who story. This story, man, this is one of the crazier ones I've ever seen. I feel like the MLS transfer sagas are even crazier than transfer sagas you would see in Europe or something like that because of all the rules that that these teams are locked into. And so it makes them 
especially in this case, kind of arrange these these very specific deals that have certain parameters around them. Of course, this one is the whole 50% clause, and then the other 50% is like, when is Atlanta United going to pay? Like, What triggers would cause that? I think that's what these teams are obviously trying to sort out, and I don't think that Independiente really likes that situation. They just want the lump sum. You know, They'll take the 20% off for the, for the full lump sum of the lotto winnings, you know, so... Um, that's what they report. What was reported uh, happened with Sao Paulo was that re- Sao Paulo had reportedly bid four million, and this was crazy because this was being reported by Cesar Luis Merlo, who does and and another reporter at at uh, Teise Sports, and they don't typically report things that are not one hundred percent factual. But this one appears not to have been. Um, it just didn't really smell right from the time. If you're in the Discord, if you're a um, a Patreon or a patron here uh you will have heard me i was kind of skeptical about this that night just kind of learning more about this reporting um it it just didn't really pass the smell test and then there was reports from or somebody had linked to a sao paulo blog where the the bloggers were like we don't have this kind of money or not a blog i'm sorry like a message board and people were like we don't have this kind of money and yeah so it never made sense um clearly seemed like just a a pure media ploy negotiating on on Twitter <laughs> by these teams. And then I think Atlanta kind of pushed back by saying, all right, we're moving on to other targets. Uh, and then, of course, what, 24 hours later, the deal was back on and Alan Franco is on his way here. Of course, that wasn't necessarily the end of the story, but... <laughs> It's it's amazing how like sitcom childish some of it is. Well, you tell Sao Paulo <laughs> yeah. that I say, you know, it's stuff like that. It's it's interesting how that kind of comes through in the media because when you think about it, it is kind of like a especially with MLS stuff, it is like a big game of telephone going through like a couple of different languages, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the, the primary sources for these things are are generally um, with the Argentine clubs, with things like that. And it's going through multiple people, you know. And so when stuff is normally confirmed by people like Cesar Merlo and stuff like that, you can usually feel pretty good about it. But it's been so weird with this one. Um, it's all been a big saga with center back. It's been such a mess. And just when we thought we were getting to the end, it looks like Alan Franco, or we know Alan Franco has tested positive for <laughs> COVID-19. So, you know, just throw that one into the Yeah, just, just a little, that cherry on top, icing on the cake of the of this transfer deal. One other thing that I heard uh, that was kind of a discussion point around this, and I think there may have been some confusion, was around the agent involved on the side of Independiente, or was it Alan Franco's agent? So the, the deal is that Independiente has an agent that that represents the club and helps negotiate these deals. That was the same agent that was obviously with Independiente three years ago or four years ago, whenever it was that Atlanta was negotiating for the sale of Ezekiel Barco. And of course, in that one, we saw a kind of a very similar thing happen right at the end of that transfer where it was, a. if you cast your minds back, the deal was agreed to. Um, and we were all just kind of watching the games. And then I think Barco scored a penalty, um, uh, in one of the games, I can't remember if it was the Copa Sudamericana mm-hmm. final or the semifinal, but he scored. And then after that, it was like, okay, the price is going up for him. And there was a bunch of shenanigans right at the end of that transfer too. And so that was the same uh, agent, at least from what I've heard, same agent that was representing Independiente, not the player, but Independiente uh, in both occasions. And so uh, also kind of a funny thing was Ezekiel Barco and that transfer, <laughs> he uh, ended up, um, paying for a training field to be installed or something at, at Independiente. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Alan Franco has to, uh, not has to, donates out of the goodness of his own heart um, to, you know, pay back the club that helped give him this opportunity. But um, either way, you know, good deal for Atlanta United, I think, in the end, because you're getting in a player who is overall valued higher than Latara Gianetti was valued at, higher than David Martinez was valued at. I mean, if you look at transfer market, I think transfermarket.us, I think uh, his transfer value, Alan Franco's, was over $8 million. Uh, so this $2.8 million that you're paying for the first 50%, and then you can add on to your share after that, is a good deal. I mean, you're you're getting a really good player in, and you're you know staying under the the under compliance of MLS rules. Yeah, like we've mentioned, all things considered, this is really not a worst case scenario. I know it's the third yeah. choice 
necessarily, but it's not a worst case scenario at all. And I kind of keep coming back to that thing we mentioned last week about Latore Gianetti being a plus because he had familiarity with the system, but Franco may just simply be the better player long term. Now, we don't want to jinx anything. There's still apparently a ways to go with this. It, it could change. We know this at this point. Lower your expectations. Be pleasantly surprised if this does actually go through. It seems like it will. It seems like it will. Hopefully he doesn't have any but. surgeries in his past. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Messed up graphs, things yeah. like that. Um, I do want to comment real quickly, though, on just like the general reporting of it. A while back, we had an interview with MLSsoccer.com's Tom Bogert, Tommy Scoops, as they call him. Go check that out. The, the episode is entitled New Signings at Atlanta United. It's on January 25th. It's in your feed. Go check that out. It was towards the end of the episode. He had a lot of great thoughts on how the reporting for these things work, how the processes work, and how journalists go through and manage when they're being used, essentially, when they're being used by agents, when they're used by teams, to maybe bump the price up and things like that. It's a lot of discretion on their part, and generally there are certain people you can trust, Tom, being one of them. So hopefully that's honestly the last we have to worry about any transfers this year, I think. I think that might be the end of it for at least a little while, I yeah. don't think. Yeah, well, I, don't I think, think somebody asked about it. I think we'll we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit more. Uh, I think there may be some questions about what we might do midseason. But yeah, for now, I mean, I think this will be the group that this team goes with for the majority of the season at least. So good. To, once, once that gets announced, we'll have everything behind us and uh, ready to roll here. And the team's set, and honestly, yeah. it looks it looks pretty good. I mean, if you look at where this team was um, right when PT left last season, and it was just such a disaster, they've undeniably gotten better, I think. And that's all you could really ask for. They've undeniably gotten better. The system looks decent. We'll get to that in a second. And theoretically, this is going to be a year that gets Atlanta back to, to a good place. Maybe not the best place. Maybe not 2018, but a good place nonetheless. They'll have to do it, though, without... Without Glassy, Joe Patrick, Stephen Glass heads to Aberdeen FC to become their new manager. Of course, he's a former player there. I think his first team was Aberdeen. So he goes back there. That relationship continues between Atlanta United and Aberdeen FC. And Joe, you got to interact with him way more than I did because I was pretty checked out towards the end of last year. And obviously, you've covered him with the twos as well. Any thoughts on Glass leaving? Um, you know, I always enjoyed, you know, working with Stephen Glass. Um, Just a very professional guy. Um. You know, there were reports about this move happening a few weeks ago, and I didn't really put much thought into it. I just figure, you know, it makes sense, right? If if you're from Aberdeen, you're thinking, who would be our next manager? Well, our club has a relationship with Atlanta United. He played here. Makes total sense. That is probably why it ended up happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we talked to Jackson Conway a couple of weeks ago, he was like, I think he let slip a little bit. He was like, I hope he stays, which signaled to me that he was in the middle of you know making a decision about this so um yeah good for him you know as much as i hate to say it it just felt like the atlanta united experience was kind of a dead end for him after what happened last year like he got a great opportunity to be the interim coach and to kind of show what he could provide uh, another team um but then when you a situation where you're where you are then going back to the twos you know I could I could totally see why you would want the motivation might be gone or have changed yeah, and you just want a different project. That's not even lateral. That's backwards. You know. Yeah. And backwards moves are, are no, no no good. No good. Um, I get it. I'm not sure I quite understand it from Aberdeen's perspective, other than he's a former player who does have some kind of credibility. Yeah. You know, he, he definitely was a manager of Atlanta United at one point. Um, and, and I wish him the best. It's just kind of a it's an interesting thing. I think. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, I mean, I'll be, I'll be interested. Maybe he, maybe he gets his own his control of things. Obviously, last year was a very different situation for him. He, he had to kind of tailor what he was doing to, with an eye towards next year because Atlanta obviously punted uh, pretty soon after Frank DeBoer left. So he had to he had to retweak a lot of things. We haven't actually seen Stephen Glass, the manager. I don't think. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, just to be bluntly honest, Atlanta United was not good last year under him. Like, the results were not good, and the the statistical measurements that you would take uh, were not, like, didn't show Atlanta to be anything more than what their record showed. But, again, exactly what you said. To be fair to him, it's like, he didn't train this team from preseason. You know, like he wasn't, it wasn't like his team really. He was just trying to keep 
you know, he was kind of the emergency person you take out of coach to come fly the plane because the, uh, you know, the pilots passed out or something. So he did, and he landed the plane, you know, like he, he did as best yeah, as he yeah. could. Um, so hopefully that, yeah, now that he has more control over everything that's going on at Aberdeen, he can have a lot more success and I hope he has it. Stephen Glass was standing in a boat that's already underwater in Lake Lanier and had like a tiny pail and was trying to <laughs> shovel water out of said boat you know so we'll see he was like he took we'll over see. the he took over the 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 shipping vessel in the suez canal I was like hey turn turn this around turn this <laughs> like, around because that's that's the position at lenny <laughs> that's the position that lenny and i was in when he took over just stuck sideways imagine doing just such a <laughs> sick ass drift that you block 10 percent of the world's trade that rules <laughs> that rules Go look at that picture of that boat in the middle of a canal it's awesome it's awesome. Oh. Shout out St. Simons, by the way, where a boat is still overturned in the water about like 100 <laughs> yards from shore. It's awesome. It's huge. Alpharetta dads are loving this shipping vessel story because they're like, <laughs> if they if, if he thinks driving through a canal is hard, you should try, you know, mm-hmm. backing up a backing up a, a trailer, uh, you know, and <laughs> at, the, at the launch at a uh, have you Habersham. been on Ivan Allen Boulevard? Like, <laughs> come on. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, anyway. Lady United did play actual games as they continue to try to write their ship towards 2021, a positive 2021. Uh, Joe Patrick, we actually got to see real live soccer happen over the span of about 120 minutes on Saturday against Charleston and Charleston's like B team who had just arrived literally like three days before but still we got to see them play yeah yeah and and unexpectedly at mercedes-benz stadium when i turned on the stream i was like oh Mm -hmm. this is at mercedes-benz because it was i was expecting it and everybody was expecting it to be at the training ground uh yeah so some interesting things i'm just going to kind of run down a bullet point and we can kind of pick up wherever you want but i thought the things that stood out were santiago sosa's positioning and his general role i mean i knew we knew that he was going to be that deep lying uh Defensive midfielder. I'm going to write something about this, by the way, for the site, because it's really interesting the way that he described his role to us yesterday. But it was interesting to see his positioning in relation to the rest of the team, the way the tactics worked out. Uh, Marcelino Moreno, speaking of positioning, he was on the wing and Barco was central, which I don't think anybody was really expecting. Um, And I might be wrong. Somebody can correct me on this. I thought he was left footed, but that may be just me uh, associating that with Miguel Amaron because they kind of and they've always reminded me of each other. Um, those long-legged Lanus attacking midfielders. Uh, but yeah, so that was interesting. Didn't expect that. Eric Lopez, my boy, scored. Pretty nice goal, I would say. Uh, I was so upset. <laughs> I mean, just kidding. Go five times. <laughs> and um, interestingly, and I'm not feeling great about this at all, Joseph Martinez played in one of the 30-minute periods, which was the third one. So they basically played a 30-minute period, a short break, 30-minute period, then like a full halftime, and then same repeated that. He played that third 30-minute period and then started the fourth one and came off like a couple minutes afterwards. Uh, don't like to see that probably was not scheduled. Um, so yeah, those, those were kind of my big takeaways and some of the, some of the younger players, the Academy players and, uh, homegrown players that played looked pretty good, but I would just kind of, I'm pumping the brakes on that stuff big time because again, to your point, Charleston battery, first of all, they're a USL team in general. They're the kind of competition you would play at the USL level for Atlanta United too. And it was like their third day of training. And some of those guys who were playing at the end of it had played since the start of it. So they were playing in like (laughs) the 120th minute uh, on their third day of training. So I'm pumping the brakes on some of the stuff that we saw in the second half. But certainly good to see and good confidence builder for some of those young kids. Yeah, I want to have people keep in mind that the main thing to focus on with things like this is to, to take just a little bit from the structure and the tactics and everything like that. When you're going to this, if you're looking at players and certain positional things and things like that, you're probably doing this wrong. If I had to guess, like if you're like, oh man, Zeke scored twice. Here we go. MVP season coming. It's probably not going to be that. If you're like, oh man, Machop Chol looked really good, which he did. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily going to translate to the rest of the year. But what you can look at is you can look at this team and see that there was a semblance of an identity. There was a semblance of a tactical structure. There was a semblance of patterns, especially in the movement 
I noticed in the movement a few times when they were getting forward, when they were getting those transitional chances, it looked very, very similar to 2017, 2018, and that felt good because we hadn't really seen those transitional chances in Mercedes-Benz Stadium over the last couple of years. Not in the same way, anyway. You know, So the way guys mm-hmm. were moving is really interesting. I thought it was good. I thought it was positive. And from like the three things you can necessarily take away from a scrimmage, all of them were positive. Yeah. So come away optimistic, not confident. That, that's how I'm going to describe anything you can take away from this. Optimistic, not confident. Now, I know tactics is not the greatest thing to talk about on a podcast. It's just not the medium to really go deep into it. But I did think it was interesting with Santiago Sosa, where he was very often when the team was in possession, he was the player that was closest to the goalkeeper. Like he was he was dropped deeper than the two center backs. He was dropping into like a sweeper role, <clears throat> essentially, although he sweeping up was not his, his role in that position when the team is in possession. His role was to be the guy that the center backs could pass the ball back to. And he was finding some nice diagonal passes at times. He was just finding some, that's the kind of, uh, from that position, he was able to develop the play a little bit. And I did think it was interesting when, when you're in that position and the ball turns over, then your center backs, who are naturally good defensive players with good defensive instincts, are in a better position to counter press. They're high up the field. They can mm-hmm. they can get into those positions very quickly. And when we talked to Santiago yesterday, that was one of the things that he mentioned when he talked about his role. That he didn't first talk about playmaking or passing or picking out the diagonals or anything like that. The first thing he talked about was defending. He was like, "My role is to make sure that when the ball turns over, we are you know organized." I forget exactly what he said, but essentially what I took away from it was that his role is to kind of recognize when the ball is turning over and get everybody in position and make sure you know they're safe on the counter and they were able to to repress the ball. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, you know, it's gonna be interesting to kind of learn more about that position and um the, the exact mechanics of it it's a little bit hard to do it's, it's very hard to do tactics with translation honestly yeah it's hard to get the questions across it's hard to get the nuance across and everything like that but still santiago did a, a good job of explaining what it is what i want to get in more and what i want to understand more is what are the the triggers for this kind of thing so one of the things that i've heard people talk about and Anton kind of mentioned this too because he was talking about his role within that back three in possession right there are certain instances where that back three is supposed to be triggered where that's supposed to happen where it's not supposed to happen Um, and a lot of that just kind of is based on communication how they communicate and Anton and and Sosa both said they were trying to learn the other's language like literal language Mm -hmm. right now to to make that a bit (laughs) a bit easier. So to gain a better understanding of that is going to be really, really interesting, I think, going forward. And something to point out just really quickly is Santiago, he spoke kind of good English at the very beginning when he was just kind of at the very, when he, I forget what he said exactly. He like introduced himself or just said hello or something like that. But his accent was pretty good. Uh, And he said that he was taking lessons. So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I think that he, hopefully they can get that, that um, communication sorted out. I'm mean, not that it's an issue right now, but that they can sort get it sorted out very quickly. And yeah, there are very specific triggers. I mean, people who are more who played soccer or coach soccer will know more about this even than I do. But like, there are very specific triggers on the field that players will be coached to start the press. Like one of them constantly or a common one is like, uh, when the ball is passed back to the goalkeeper or when the ball is passed from one center back to the other, like that is a trigger that that action is a trigger to start a pressing pattern. Um, so, yeah, it will be very interesting to kind of keep an eye on that and see how Atlanta United tries to exploit their opponents. The other big thing from this, of course, and you mentioned it, Joe, was that Barco moved centrally. Marcel Molino moved out onto the wing. And at first I thought people were like messing with me. I'll be totally honest. It was really hard to tell who was who without numbers on the back. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny screen. I was watching this game on, uh, but it seemed correct. I mean, it was correct. Uh, Barco is, is moving centrally Moreno on the wing. Um, I don't quite understand the mechanics of that entirely yet. And it's something that we and me, especially all admit to basically said, it wasn't going to happen. We basically said it wasn't going to happen. And I, I'm still not quite sure. I understand the exact reasoning. I would love to talk to somebody about that, but until we do, I don't know. It's, it's kind of up in there. What do, what do you think about this shift that we well, didn't see coming? Well, I think for me, one of the reasons I did not see it coming was because I always thought of Marcelino Moreno as the player who defensively is more willing to get stuck in and do a lot of the dirty work. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that Barco was getting praised for in the scrimmage more than anything else was his... Um, his willingness to, to do that kind of thing in the game. And it wasn't necessarily a lot of people were saying like tracking back. I would not call what Barco was doing tracking back. In fact, if anything, I would say he was like more 
aggressive in the press uh kind of going forward almost um but like defensively in those very small moments where the game is played after possession is lost he was just very quick to recognize those moments and jump into place which is exactly obviously what gabriel Hines is going to want to see because that's kind of what his whole system is based on it's a it's the attention to when the ball is being turned over and winning all those little five second battles that happen at after those moments that's what's going to be key for Atlanta United this year and I thought Barco did really well in that central role and again and kind of translating this to Marcelino Marino you know we've talked about his um his ability and his tendency to take guys on one-on-one like that was always his thing in Lanús in the Argentine league he attempted more take-ons than anybody and it wasn't even close um he wasn't necessarily always winning those it was like kind of like 50 percent but when those come off it's going to help the team and maybe um putting a player like that in a wide area is going to be a little bit safer um, put you in a better position to yeah win the ball back after he loses it if he does lose it and if he doesn't lose it then you've got an attack going so uh, those could be some of the reasons and maybe those guys will swap in and out I'm sure they're capable of doing that so it'll just be interesting to watch how they kind of uh, keep this going going forward yeah no I mean there's really no statistical indication either that that this was going to be something Barco would be decent at especially on a defensive end I'm looking at his uh, stats from from FB ref and he's like fifth percentile in pressures 10th percentile in tackles third percentile interceptions I mean that's very 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 low uh, for an attacking mid and a winger and so it's interesting to see him kind of shift into a more central role and, and put in put in at least the work and I'm not, I'm not sure that was necessarily ever the problem with Zeke was the work I think people just kind of saw him hustling and was like oh, okay he's doing the thing but maybe he was just kind of bad at getting a result well it's interesting that you say that because um i asked joseph about barco in joseph's presser and <laughs> joseph's presser that he did the other day like everybody was asking about him and everything and i was like okay um i get it but like i i asked about barco and he said that barco needs to um give a hundred percent or like he, he talked about essentially he kind of like it was i don't want to say it was like a shot at barco it wasn't like that but he was like he needs to um, like, yeah, essentially give more, like, like be, give hundred percent. If he does that, he'll show himself to be the player that everybody thinks he'll be. So, um, it seems to me like Barco could be set for kind of a, you know, he just has a new level of motivation this year. He sees himself as, um, needing to, to exert himself like this. If he wants to develop his career the way it wants to go or he wants it to go. So, um, I mean, it's only, only a good sign from what we've seen so far. I think there's a lot to be said too about Moreno's positioning and I I think we need to kind of do a deep dive at some point on that left wing kind of position for Velas under under Einze because I remember I got kind of blasted when I said that Zeke really couldn't play on the wing in the system we had Peter uh, Coates from Golazo Argentino kind of quotes at me and say I think I think Barco could actually do this because of the way the left wing role works in Einze's system and it seems that maybe Moreno is actually a bit more suited to that because I believe it, it comes central mm-hmm. pretty often it drops deeper it comes central and the way that works is is pretty well tailored to, to what you kind of want to see from Marcelino Moreno I think it seemed like that that's how the balance was where Marino was the guy who was coming in and and making runs beyond uh, the back line as well while Jurgen Dam was situated farther wide on the right side which plays to his strengths as well and that could just be a natural tendency uh that Jurgen Dam is going to be that kind of player who you know as a right-footed winger he just wants to get on that right foot in those wide areas and and pick out crosses but that definitely is how it played out um and I was also interested you know just talking about the attack here and what we saw Lissandro Lopez I always pegged him to be a guy who was just going to kind of linger up top between the two center backs play a more physical game and you know be running making those runs in on goal and trying to get on the ends like of poacher style striker and what i saw from him was really more of a guy who was better in like the link up play um kind of dropping off that back line a little bit linking up with guys like barco guys like moreno and playing some of them through at times um sometimes playing a one two and making a run himself i thought he was just better when he was coming deeper and getting himself involved in the game because you could see the quality that a player like him has in his feet i mean like that's why he was such a prestigious uh, prolific player in europe for so long so um i think he still has a lot left in the tank too i mean i don't know how many minutes he'll be able to play over the course of a full season but i think what you saw from him was that when he does come on the field he's going to be able to provide you legit quality in whatever kind of um capacity he's able to do that 
Yeah, he ruined a couple dudes a couple times. Yeah. It was awesome. Just right out, around the edge of the box, too. And I think it resulted in a shot that got saved and eventually maybe turned into a goal or something like that. But he megged the dude. It just uh, His movement looked sharp. It, it was kind of shocking to see how fluid he looked. And honestly, you see, especially striker or target guys like that look a little clunky, especially mm-hmm. as they get older, you know, and it didn't necessarily seem like that. So in addition to being extremely hot, Lissandra Lopez <laughs> could be a really solid depth piece for this. And that's, that's exciting, the depth. And forward is, is, again, probably the best on the team, honestly, at this point, which is crazy to think about because we were struggling so much to find those kind of things last year. But now it kind of seems like you've got it. And if Joseph does maybe have a slow start of the year, which I think, I mean, I'm sure they're being extremely, extremely, extremely cautious. So even if he felt like a minor issue, it, it might be why he was pulled out of that game. But, you know, if, if, if things come to the worst case scenario, it may not be the end of the world like it was last year. Mm-hmm. And one other thing I want to point out, I tweeted this during the game, but George Bellow is going to feast in this system. I feel like if he can stay healthy, because again, we're, we've been talking about that left side a lot with Marcelino Moreno, Barco coming into that zone, Lissandra Lopez kind of linking up with those guys that they're going to attract so much attention in that little kind of half space on that, that left channel that Bello is essentially going to be playing as a winger in this system when the team is in attack. And Matt, he, like, he's just going to have so much space. And when you have him on the field with those guys, like he didn't play with that group. He played with the second group um, for whatever reason. I don't know why. But um, when he's playing with those guys, he's going to add a whole nother dimension to that attack as that wa- that threat from out wide. And he can get in behind and kind of cut inside. Man, I'm just really excited to see what these guys can do once they're kind of at full strength and really going for it. In the same way that Tata's system opened up so much space for Julian, and Julian was almost reluctant to take it sometimes because he had to stay out so far wide, but in the same way it opened up that kind of space for Julian, I think it might do the same for George. And George, frankly, is more talented. You know, yeah. uh, I think that's unfair to say. So I'd, I'd be, I think you're right. I think you're, and it's something we said kind of from the beginning that we think Bello would do really, really well in this. And it was kind of nice to see a little bit of confirmation of that. Again, not a whole lot we can take away from that, but a whole lot of positives and a whole lot of things to be optimistic about. The other thing you can be optimistic about is we'll be right back after the quick break. And before we get back into the show, did just want to shout out once again, our partners at Lucid FC for bringing you this episode of Five Stripe Final. They've got a new shop out um, in Buckhead. It's right behind the Whole Foods there. Uh, The address is 3209 Paces Ferry Place Northwest, if you want to write that down or Google it or whatever. But I cannot wait to see what they get done there because I think that that shop is going to be um, experiential, to say the least. These guys are really creative, and uh, I think that it will be more than just a a place to sell clothes. So that will be really cool. But you can obviously also order from them online at lucidfc.us. They've got their new spring-summer 2021 collection out now, uh, which you can buy right now online called This is a Modern World. It's really cool stuff. The collection brings nostalgic, psychedelic party nights of the past to the new modern lifestyle. Uh, I've checked it out on, on their shop. It looks really cool. The products on this line will be sold exclusively to directly to you on the Lucid FC website. That's where you get it. Uh, they've got unisex sizes from extra small to extra extra large, and the uh, price points from eight dollars to three hundred and eighty dollars. So there's something in there for everybody, uh, and it has just launched, and it's really cool. Definitely would recommend everybody go check out uh, LucidFC.us and maybe pick up yourself some uh, some Modern World clothes. So Patrick, the people had questions. We have answers the first one's going to come from kurt today it's a long one but it's a good one hang in here um kurt asked a lot of our signings have mentioned wanting to use atlanta united as a potential stepping stone to europe for example joe's sweetheart eric lopez mentioned explicitly in his first media availability as a reason he came to atlanta so far we've really only helped miggy attain that dream with the majority of other outgoing transfers going to mexico south america or within the league In order to keep recruiting top players, how soon do we have to prove we can help other players move to top leagues? And with Newcastle looking completely pathetic right now, would their potential relegation in any way hurt how we're viewed as a stepping stone to top European teams? And I want to take this first, Joe, because I have kind of a general thought on this. And it basically comes down to this. Brenner just came to FC Cincinnati for $13 million. Mm-hmm. Does FC Cincinnati strike you in any way as a club that had a reputation as being a huge outselling team? No, not at no. all. So well, I think we can gather from that and a larger general trend 
is that it is not the club at this point. The club helps. The club is obviously a part of that. The the people who we have in, the personnel, coaching the team, like Heinze and others, is important. But it's not necessarily the clubs at this point that are drawing players. It's the league itself. The league itself is what is being seen as a stepping stone. And the more and more we kind of get a feel of what players in Argentina are saying, what they're doing when they're talking to other players. For example, Santiago Sosa mentioned he talked to multiple players about leaving the country, about leaving for MLS. The indication is that it is the league itself that is giving players this chance, right? So Lady United can be at the top of that pile, but they're not going to be the only one in that pile. And as long as that pile continues to grow and you see more positive examples within the league, so when you see like um, even a Daryl DK go out, when you see like a Brian Rodriguez go out and things like that, you get a better sense of, of what other players are seeing, I think. Well said. I, I would have said the exact same thing. And I would say that Atlanta United kind of served as a proof of concept with Miguel Amaron in this sense, mm-hmm. where they were able to bring in a guy who at the time when they bought him was either a record fee or, or near a record fee um, at like eight million or something at the time. And that just came. I mean, that seems like pretty small potatoes, <laughs> not small potatoes, but just like a, kind of an average DP signing now uh, after just a few years. But yeah, I, it, he kind of served as a proof of concept. And that's why I think we were talking about this in the last episode that we recorded, the last free episode that we recorded, which was that, you know, we should be rooting for we being Atlanta United fans should be rooting for other teams to be selling players to Europe for big money because, yeah, it is a league wide thing. It's not necessarily like if Atlanta was just a club that was trying to do this on their own, I don't think they would have a whole lot of success, to be perfectly honest, um, in trying to to set up that model. But if they can set up that model within the broader context of the league being this kind of venue for these players to um, show themselves and be the like the shop window league to an extent, that's a good situation to be in. And if you're Atlanta United, if you're the top, like one of the top dogs, you know, along with LAFC and Seattle Sounders, these kinds of teams um, in that context, then I think that that's great for the club. It's just great. It's great for the players. It's great for everybody. It's great for the homegrowns who are coming through. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and I don't really think that um, – with, with regards to Newcastle and how Almiron's doing, you know, I think Almiron's performing pretty well there, and Newcastle's just being dragged down to other incompetencies and other ineptitudes. <laughs> so um, I'm not really that that concerned about what's happening with him. Although the only thing that might be concerning about it would be if their relegation affects um, any um, monies that would have been owed to Atlanta United. Uh, I know there was some sort of clause like that, but I think it may have only been after the first, if they had been, if they survived relegation that first year, because they bought him mid-season, um, then something kicked in. But other than that, yeah, not concerned about that situation. Yeah, no, you make a good point that Elaine and I does kind of deserve some credit, at least for, for kind of setting the model, for kind of creating a template for the model. Uh, but again, they're, they're not the only one following it at this point. And it's really kind of changed how things work. And Atlanta hasn't even really sold that many DPs yet. <laughs> like they, they sold, they sold yep. Amarone and Pitti obviously. And other than that, have they, I can't even, I'm trying to think, I don't think they have sold another DP. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> well, Tito technically, right? Oh yeah. I guess that's technically true. Yeah. <laughs> he was a DP at one point. At one point. Yeah. At one point. Lame. Come back, Tito. Come back, Tito. Uh, but you know, in, in, to another point, I think that that someone will swoop in for Almiron. I don't think he's gonna be. I don't think he's gonna stay in Newcastle. Oh yeah, frankly, definitely not. Go down. There were but, rumors of him uh, going to Atletico Madrid uh, just uh, six months ago or so, or maybe a year ago. I think mm-hmm. that, honestly, it would be a good fit. But but the thing to keep in mind is that it's all just a big feedback loop, right? The more right. positive things that come out of him, less more positive transfers. The more they kind of compound in on themselves, the more people come in. And it goes on and on and on. And, and eventually, hopefully, the, the league kind of grows into that and continues to grow from a talent perspective as well. Just just hang on, folks. Be patient. Be patient. Give it like give it like 30 to 50 years. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll be set. Be, inter- be interesting to see what Atlanta United and Aberdeen's relationship looks like in 30 to 50 years. Joe Patrick leads to this question from Greg. Can you guts? Elaborate on in on wait shit. Can you guts elaborate any on our relationship with Aberdeen? 
Yeah. So um, just I just want to read this straight from the press release so that it's just out there again for everybody. Uh, the strategic partnership will serve to expand Atlanta United's reach globally and will be an opportunity for both clubs to share knowledge and experience during player and youth development. So player and youth development and kind of scouting fan experience and venue best practices. So we've heard stories about Darren Eels going over there and kind of getting a tour of the, the Aberdeen stadium and what the, what things are doing around the community to try to, you know, get people involved with things that are going on with the club. So that's another thing. The partnership also has technical advantages by extending Atlanta United scouting network into a new region and allowing for a development pipeline between the clubs. So that's a big one we're seeing right now with the scout, not just the scouting, but the development pipeline, right? The, the, <laughs> the, getting Ronald Hernandez some excuse no I'm just kidding uh but like seriously like like you know loans that kind of thing like that's going to be something that we continue to see John Gallagher went to Aberdeen performed well came back and was able to be able to like I think that that helped smooth his transition to the first team here in Atlanta by having that experience and then one other thing I want to mention about this is that uh, AMBSE, which is the parent company that owns Atlanta United, uh, will have minority ownership. They bought less than 10% stake in the club. It was only a $2 million. Um, I'm sorry, 2 million pounds. Uh, but they do have a stake in Aberdeen. So I think that that's important. I know that that's something that Darren Eels pointed out when the deal went down was that it was important for Atlanta United uh, or Arthur Blank, I should say, I should specify, uh, to actually have a, a, some skin in the game w- with regards to Aberdeen. So it's not just like you're using them um, and just extracting whatever value you can out of them. It's it's in both parties' interests to kind of work in tandem together and grow together. So um, that's the that's the the technical details of the partnership. And I think that what we're seeing now is just a lot of that stuff being put into place. We've also seen youth teams. Youth teams have gone over um, and played with Aberdeen, um, d- done stuff like that. So it's really expanded uh, some of the things that Atlanta United has been able to do. Here's what I think the next step for that is. And you can stop me if you think this is insane. But I think that partnership continues. I, th- I don't think Aberdeen is going anywhere. But what I kind of hope we see is something very similar to what FC Dallas has set up with Bayern Munich. And it's essentially this academy agreement that allows a lot of their players to either go over on loan or just go over for training and go over for things like that. That's led to some pretty profitable things with FC Dallas and, and for Bayern. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at someone like Chris Richards who went over there. Um, they have another kid right there over there right now on loan whose name I can't remember off the top Ryan, of my head. I don't want to get uh, wrong. I don't know. Pennsylvania, maybe. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of one of them. Maybe there are a couple of kids right now. Um, Justin Shea, Justin Shea Ah, is the kid's name. That's right. And, um, you know, I would love to see these partnerships expand. I would love for, (laughs) I would love for Aberdeen to honestly be the side chick. I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Like, Uh, um, you know, and and that can still be very beneficial for everyone involved. But I think there are progressions beyond this. It's good that it exists. But I hope there is that future progression with the club with a little more stature and maybe a little more positives to it. Right. Cause right now, uh, you know, the situation with Atlanta United and Aberdeen, Atlanta United is kind of the big club in the situation. Um, mm-hmm. And in the one that you describe with FC Dallas, Bayern Munich is the big club and there are, sure? <laughs> and there are benefits for both sides. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the small club or the big club, like there, there's benefits for both sides. Um, and so, yeah, I agree that it would be interesting. And I do, I suspect that Atlanta United will enter into some sort of agreement with, with a bigger club. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea who it would be, but it just seems like this is the way that the sport is going, where these clubs are interconnecting across continents, across, um, you know, these different competitions. NYCFCs, obviously, they were kind of the, the, the city group was one of the kind of um, founder isn't the right word, but they were one of the first groups to really do this. They've got clubs in Australia, obviously the United States, Europe. Um, the Red Bull is, is very similar. So yeah, that's the way the sport is going. And so at this point, it's almost just like a matter of time. I'm just like waiting to see who will be the next club to kind of join this partnership. I do want to mention too that Dallas, I think they may still have this, but they used to have a partnership with Tigris. And at one point had like, tigris designed jerseys they look really <laughs> terrible it's awesome go look it up well go look it up speaking of that just real quick i mean talking about partnerships you might see a some full-on partnering or intermixing of uh mls and uh <laughs> and liga mx i mean i we obviously know the campionas cup is a new competition but um <laughs> my goodness 
What is that? Speaking of partnerships, I am wearing my Lucid FC bucket hat. There it Lucid is. Me. There Shout it is. Lucid. Shout out Lucid. I don't know. It looks way better without the headphones. Why did I that? I don't. Why? Why did? Why did that conversation uh, uh, trigger you to go put that on? Because you mentioned partnerships. Oh, this is our partnership yeah. Okay. With, yeah. With true. Lucid. True. FC and I wanted to get my hat. You know, there's great radio. There have been there have been rumors. There have been rumors that uh, that MLS and Liga MX could make a full on merger at some point and just make it one league, uh, which would be insane <laughs> and kind of cool. Right. That's the next step. That's yeah. the next step. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll we'll get into more of that later. Um, but but Darren, by the way, if you're listening, I do want to mention. I mean, there's a, there's a scarf right behind Joe's shoulder. If you're if you're watching on YouTube, it, it seems interesting to me, honestly, that with Darren's connections, there haven't been more kind of interactions with Spurs. To be totally honest, um, maybe that's maybe that's a path in the future, Darren. If you're <laughs> maybe, I'd be interested to know, honestly, honestly. Moving on to the next question, MTBH asked, "Designs a have to clear questions from media, or will he just ignore?" and walk off um this is um touching on something that has been a piece of conversation within the atlanta united universe this past week and we obviously have perspective on it and we obviously um have some insight hopefully on this but we want to approach it very carefully we want to appreciate it in in the best sense uh, but we don't story- need the media <laughs> That's the kind of yeah, balanced approach let's, we're bringing actually, to this conversation. Yeah, screw this. Let, let, let's, let's forget the balance thing. Welcome to the freaking Viper Pit, as we were called earlier. Viper Pit of the media here in Atlanta. Yeah, just, you know, Sam from EAV and Joe from Brookhaven trying to <laughs> to make minimum wage at most. Yeah. The Viper Pit. Viper Pit. Um, Gabrielinza was scheduled to talk to media on Saturday after the scrimmage. Um that did not happen, and um, Doug Roberson kind of tweeted about it, and things kind of went from there, which which led to a lot of questions about availability, which led to a lot of questions about Einstein's responsibility, and I think obviously me and Joe are going to have a lot of thoughts about that, but we'll try to do it without getting too inside baseball on you guys. Oh, I'm ready to get sure. inside baseball. <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, like when we put up you know put together the patreon stuff when you know everything that we've done really with five stripe finals with the idea that like we want to enhance the fans experience of following the team and we do that through having these conversations with players with coaches to try to to kind of try to figure out what's going on with the team and communicate that to everybody else and 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 vice versa and to take people's questions and ask them to the players and the coaches um, to try to get their, you know, feedback on those kinds of things. So that's the way I see what I do um, is to kind of just help fans. Um, And so it's really interesting to me to see people say like, we don't need to hear from the coach because first of all, um, you know, it's not like a zero sum thing where it's like the more the coach or whoever players, whatever, the more they talk to us, the worse they're going to do on the field. Like that's, it doesn't, doesn't have that relationship. It doesn't, that's, that's not it. So, um, that's one thing. The other thing is that you do want to hear from the coach and the players. Like you want to know what's going on. You want to know the tactics. You want to know like what a, what a coach thinks of a player, why he's playing Marcelino Moreno on the left-hand side. You know, what, what he thinks George Bello could do in the system. You want to hear all, you know, you, of course you want to hear these kinds of things. And it, it sounds like, you know, you can say that in the moment that you don't care about that kind of stuff. And, and, that's fine. But like when you look back on it, like look back on like Tata had tons of great insight onto the team that helped all of us understand what was going on. Tata was very open with the media as well. I, I will give him a lot of credit. Like people try to say like, Oh, well Tata didn't do this either. It's like, well actually he did. <laughs> yeah. Tata was very open and honest with media. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my thing is that like, I can understand why you, you, maybe you, you, you don't think that you need to hear from a, from a coach, but I really think that when you, when you really think about it and you think about these things that you've heard from these guys, um, it is beneficial and it helps the experience of being a fan. First and foremost, I kind of want people and I want to ask people to, to empathize a bit, perhaps with, with Doug's position <laughs> yes. on this, um, keeping in mind that we were told on Friday night that this interview would be happening. 
Um, we waited for probably 45 minutes to an hour for, for a scheduled interview after this that, that did not come. Um, and, you know, in any kind of situation, I think, where you're scheduled for a meeting, um, that meeting goes late and then you're told that meeting is not happening. I think there's going to be some frustration. I personally was not frustrated. I don't think Joe was. I thought it was very interesting. I had already Fine. left. I wasn't Honestly. even going to be able to do the yeah. thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, initially he was late because he was running an extra training session after, <laughs> which I think is just about as insightful as, as anything. I really mm. thought that was funny and interesting. Um, but to a larger point, the media as a whole is essentially there to be a conduit for these people who are part of what is at its very core and at its very nature, an entertainment product and entertainment products involve characters, entertainment products involve narratives, entertainment products involve all of those things coming together through information that's delivered through interactions. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we don't have those interactions, I think in general, it does lessen your experience. It lessens everybody's experience involved in this because you, you don't get that insight. You don't get those connections and you don't get a larger understanding of what the narratives and stories are around the team. I think, I think we serve a purpose. It's maybe not the moral high ground purpose that some media kind of think they have, you know, we're not owed anything necessarily. It's not something that, you know, well, we have not the world. We haven't been hardliners on this. Like we, like we've said like about like locker room access and things like that. I I think that we've been ones who have been like, Hey, we, we like, we don't need to be inside their dressing room. Um, I I've can see some what, of that some. But, I, I, you know, I actually, you know, like, yeah, I, I there there's a lot of nuance there, but we generally have been more on the side of like, we don't need to be invading their personal space. You know, like that's not the point of this. The point of this is just to be able to, yeah, get this, get information out of them so we can uh, share that with fans. Anything we do as media, as people, you know, going back to before I was with MLS to writing goofy shit like Claire Navius and things like that is to involve ourselves in the entertainment process and create community from that, right? Um, and basic things like talking to, to players, talking to fan, or talking to coaches and things like that, help us build that story, help us build that narrative, help us build that community. And I, I think um, some of the best coaches understand this. Like, for example, Jurgen Klopp is very big about making sure he interacts and making sure his, his presence is out there and understanding that the team is there for the fans and media we are on not only the fan side we're on the team side as well which mm-hmm. i think gets lost yes in a lot of cases you know we are we are on the team side we want the team to succeed we want this to be fun we want this to be an enjoyable experience so all that being said it wasn't a huge deal to me but i am hopeful that those things will be kept in mind going forward yeah yeah fair i could keep going but i'm gonna stop it there and just say good stuff yeah <laughs> We're happy to have a dialogue about that too. If yeah, anyone wants we to talk keep it to going. Us, get, get at us. Why mm-hmm. not? Right. Um, we're, we're happy to talk about it for sure. For sure. Moving on to the next thing. Thanks for staying with us through that. Jimmy Glenn asks, so let's assume the Alan Franco sign. <laughs> Hard transition happens. back to Alan Franco. Woo! <laughs> I'm dizzy. Hard jolt. A lot of G force. Should have rearranged these questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what moves are going to be a priority come this summer window? Barco or Bella to Europe, bringing in another winger. I think we mentioned this at the top. Yeah. I think the team is set. Yeah, I would and not I, expect I don't any see big anyone sales. Either. Yeah, I would not expect any big sales coming uh, this summer. The one thing I would say is like maybe if a roster spot could be cleared, you could potentially see a a, a Darwin Mateus type. You know, get a slot on the roster midseason if you're able to adjust some things. If he's performing well or something like that, I don't know. Um, he would get at least he would give you some winger depth as it relates to this question. But yeah, I don't see a ton of movement happening with the team this midseason because the team is so locked in uh it seems like it's really they've pushed it to the limit with this uh allocation money that they've spent and everything so i don't know how much wiggle room they'll even have which i think kind of hints at like why they were so resolute and trying to get alan franco in this quickly and i i'd kind of mentioned that i thought it was kind of weird that they were so angsty about it not angsty they were just in a hurry to Mm -hmm. get this done right they were in a hurry to get this done and to me, that didn't quite make sense. Again, you only have to be good for like two months in MLS. The first two Champions League games are are pretty 
winnable if you get past the first round, which is a tough draw, tough draw. And, you know, all those things kind of come together to, to make a summer signing possible. But these preseason moments seem to be so crucial and so important to what Gabriel Lanze wants to do that getting in a guy as quick as possible is is going to be important to the overall makeup, which is why, you know, you, you had this guy come in this quickly and why you probably won't see anyone come in during the summer unless something catastrophic happens. Agree. Beautiful. Five Stripes ask Five Stripes with a P H Y ask what kind of coach are we looking to take <laughs> what <laughs> what <laughs> another thing we need to unpack later what kind of coach are we looking for to take over the twos Joe Patrick Joe you have way more experience with this I do not expect this to be some long drawn out search I believe this is just totally my opinion but I think Henry Apolu I don't think he followed Stephen Glass to Aberdeen he was the, the assistant manager for Stephen Glass here at Atlanta United too uh, people have had really good things to say about him as well and I would expect I think that he would be the perfect kind of candidate that you want somebody who's familiar with the club who's familiar with these players um, to just continue their development and take over that role full time. Let me ask any chance Tony Anon is in the running for this. He seems to be such a well-liked and well-respected dude. So it's an interesting question and I definitely he would be, but I kind of wonder if he doesn't already see himself in like a more important role in his current role. Like I think that the being the development director at Atlanta United at Atlanta United is a better role to be in better in terms of just what he where he is in his career um, than being the manager of the USL team. Um, and he can always, you know, he can always be the guy who can come in and manage the team on an interim basis or or in an emergency or something like we saw this year Um, but I think it's good to have Tony just continuing in his role where he's really comfortable and uh, has a really good relationship with clubs and everything like that I don't don't think you would want to take him out of that Tony may continue in his role that makes him comfortable but real quick Joe Patrick we're going to put you in a role that makes you uncomfortable this is rapid (laughs) fire will ask what you think of Abdullah Diop uh, again, similar to Machop Joel, like I'm just not taking a ton from the success. But I will say, Abdullah Jope is a guy who um, has always been very interesting watch at the USL level. I just love his mind. Like He has a very creative kind of mind, the way he moves the ball around. Rob asks, what would be the funniest way possible for Franco to fail his physical? And I think it's the doctor says, Franco, you're all cleared. I'm off to roller skate practice. Franco steps up, steps on a roller skate, rolls all the way down the hallway on one leg goes down the stairs is fine stands up slips on a banana peel injures himself looks at a dog that's been watching him the whole time and goes don't you say it and the dog looks and puts a paw over his eyes like he's embarrassed for alan franco and that's the funniest way that could happen i was gonna say gangrene fuck is wrong with you (laughs) rapid fire doug demodome's burner ask which pokemon Would best fit Atlanta United system, and do you think it would cost us a DP slot? Joe, name a Pokemon. Charmander. Nice. Okay, good. Good. I was worried for a second. I was worried for a second. I don't think it would cost a DP slot because you're probably getting in a youngster, but probably an international slot. Yeah, like a first like evolution of Mm -hmm. like a like a uh, Bulbasaur or something like that. Yeah. Um, Stamper asks, seeing that we can no longer stream games on the usual platforms, should I make the switch to ATTV? ATT TV, ATT ATT TV, or just move. It's pronounced Alahulense. <laughs> Fourth quarter COVID ask, who would be able to eat the most Chick Fil A nuggets between Brooks, Joseph, and Barco? If, if, for me, this is not even close that it's Joseph, but Joseph is well practiced. Don't count out Brooks Lennon. You Don't know, sleep on Brooks. Jo- Joseph, he's he's eating chicken wings when he's watching Orlando play. He's, he's mm-hmm. done the whole Thanksgiving plucking at the bones. So yeah, he loves he loves chicken. Dr. ATL Eagle asks, is that a, is that an, a, a PhD or an MD? Whatever. Dr. ATL Eagle asks, why is Independiente such jerks? That agent, I guess, the same guy who's represented them both times. It's in their name. They're independent. They're lone wolves. Oh. They don't want. They don't want to. They don't want to like, hang out with people, right? Uh, Blue Guy, who somehow predicted the schedule launch like an hour before it got reported today <laughs> in the Discord and freaked me out. Uh, ask chance that Joseph starts the first match over under 50%. I say over 50%, but like under 75. I say under 50%. All right. Tommy asks, what is the next episode of the Franco soap opera going to be about after the COVID episode? We find out that Franco Escobar and Sam Franco from Mouths of the South are all the same person as Alan Franco and have been the entire time. They've just been switching disguises and changing the variations of franco to different parts of their name 
Uh, Kojo asks, who is most likely to receive a red card first this season, Franco Ibarra or Gabriel Heinze? Hilarious. Uh, maybe Gabriel Heinze. Maybe he pulls a Tata. Although, I guess Carlos Carmona got the first red card of the season in 2017, but mm. it, it, Tata wasn't far behind. Dr. Mantis Toboggan asks, who are your five breakout MLS players for this season? And this is directed at me, apparently. And this is going to be. Really <laughs> I would force Sam because I have no idea. Spot. <laughs> Crap. Um, let's see. Uh, Baldissimo in Vancouver. Um, Io Akinola probably going to get a lot more minutes this year. Um, keep an eye on Brenner in Cincinnati. I would also take a look at someone like a, a Tanner Testman, might be the next guy to make a big jump from Dallas to Europe. And I'll put in. Uh, Santiago Sosa. Why not? Uh, Eberhardt Creative asks with regard to Barco achieving his potential with Atlanta, have Darren and company thought about giving him a backwards hat, a semi truck, and a Kenny Loggins cassette? And Eberhardt Creative, I just want to say that sounds a little bit over the top. And that was Rapid Fire Joe. You'll get that joke in like five weeks. <laughs> that was Rapid Fire. I can't wait. <laughs> can't gonna wait be, till I get it. It's going to be totally mediocre, but it, <laughs> I nailed it. I nailed it. <laughs> Joe, anything else? Yeah, less than two here? weeks, man. Less than two weeks. So the first game of the season, Tuesday, April 6th at 8 p.m. against Alajuelense. Apparently, we'll be on FS1. Tough according draw. To, according to Rob Usry's TV guide. So, breaking news. Beautiful. Thanks to Rob for, for breaking that for us. Um, hopefully, both legs are. But hopefully, we'll be in the stands for that yeah. other leg. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Go get your vaccine. You'll feel good, too. Everything will all be better soon. Uh, good luck out there. We'll see y'all later. Bye, all. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.